0: are you a skeptic a believer or both either way you'll love none of this is real the podcast for all things mysterious and weird the hosts sarah and damini ponder cults cryptids creepy things and conspiracies while asking each other the ultimate question is any of this real it's like sitting on the front porch swing with friends while they talk all about life's mysteries and make each other laugh One of the most recent episodes is called Winter Beings, and it's full of absurd discussions of a few interesting winter spirits from around the world. Their description of Santa Claus performing necromancy or their bit about newlywed confessions might make you cry laugh. So listen to None of This Is Real wherever you get podcasts. All links to the show will be in this episode's description, and believe all over yourself. Your old pal Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. Now before I get into it, I used to be one of those cats that said, oh, I'm not going to wimp out and say happy holidays, you know, it's Christmas, dang it, America. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to, I used to be one of those cats, but i I don't know if it came with age or what, or just having a global audience now. And realizing that, no, it's not a wimpy thing to say is Happy Holidays, because not everybody celebrates Christmas, you know what I mean? And I have a global audience now. You know, a lot of you uh, celebrate Christmas, a lot of you don't. So, I don't know, maybe it just comes with age and wisdom (laughs) to where I don't mind saying Happy Holidays. In fact, that's probably the most appropriate thing when you have an audience who's as diverse as you guys. I mean, you're all over the world. This podcast is listened to in over 80 countries. It's amazing. So what I'll say is by the time you hear this, it'll be on Christmas or day before, I'm thinking, but Christmas at the latest or uh, whatever holiday you celebrate on December 25th. So whichever holiday you celebrate right now, <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful, happy, and merry one. And I do feel like I need to say that this time of year, I don't know if it's the weather or the memories of family coming together and stuff like that. I mean, it, it it it's not always a bright day for a lot of people. A lot of us have suffered tragedies and a lot of us have those memories of being together with ones that we've lost or maybe we're alone on the holiday. So it's not always easy for everybody. And I just want to let you know that um I mean, just coming from the heart. I haven't prepared anything for this. but Before we get into the show, I just I, I feel the need to say this. I know it can be tough on some of you, and it, it's a tough time for me too. But spend it with the people that you care about and reach out to those people. If you're alone, reach out. Just reach out. You always got somebody that cares about you. You always got somebody that loves you. You know what I mean? You don't have to be... Alone during this. You don't have to feel alone during this. And I know it's tough for some people, but, you know, you always got somebody that's out there for you. So reach out, you're feeling down, reach out. There's a lot of things that happen this time of year. You know what I mean? And um, I just try to do the best I can to try and prevent that from happening. Because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it can be a tough time of year. You know, I wish I was more eloquent in saying this. I wish I could choose better words. But I know I'm just your, you know, (laughs) I'm just your friendly neighborhood host. But I care about you. And I know there's a lot of other people who do too. So I hope you have a happy holiday or a Merry Christmas or whatever you celebrate. So this week, we're going to England. Yeah, again. I like to look at strange tales from Britain's past. Britain being host to a lot of my favorite strange places. We all know... A lot of their stories, some of which I've even talked about on this very show. The hairy hands of Dartmoor, the Sandown clown, the lantern man. You know what I mean? Britain's paranormal tales and urban legends are some of my favorite. Today's tale is somewhat unique in that it didn't happen on some windswept moor or remote marshland, but in the grounds of a stately hall in the city of Nottingham. Walletton Hall. God, I hope I'm saying that right, because I'm going to be saying it a lot. (laughs) Walletton Hall. It's a giant, like, Elizabethan mansion. It was completed in 1588 for a Sir Francis Willoughby, the sixth baron of Middleton. You might have seen it before in the movie The Dark Knight Rises, actually. It was used for exterior shots of Wayne Manor, And it's not actually the mansion house itself we're concerned with, but the grounds surrounding it. The 500-acre gardens and Deer Park, specifically. The event in question. This happened late one evening on the 23rd of September, 1979. A group of six schoolchildren had entered Walletton Park looking for a bit of mischief, a bit of trouble maybe, as school-age kids do. Although most of the park is open to the public, there's certain areas that are fenced off for conservation reasons. See, one of these areas the children referred to, It was uh, they called it the swamps. It's like a boggy wild patch covered in thick bushes and trees. I have listeners from this area, so <laughs> please forgive me if I butcher any names or anything like that. But according to the children... As they were passing the swamps, as they called it, they spotted behind the fence a number of little men hiding in the bushes. These men were described as being very short, about as tall as the children's waists. Very, very small little men. Pretty odd. They had long beards, brightly colored clothes, and the classic gnome-like hats. One of these little men came out of a hole in the fence and made an odd jiggling gesture towards the children before disappearing back into the bushes. The children, they then saw more of these little men up in the trees, looking down and laughing at them. Intrigued by the appearance of these strange men, the children climbed over the fence and entered the swamps. As they got closer, the little men retreated from view, disappearing into the foliage. Then, it gets even weirder, a whole host of strange vehicles came out of the bushes. They were described by the children as looking like little bubble cars with strange triangular lights and some kind of handle for turning. They didn't say steering wheel, which is odd. They just said it like a handle for turning them. In each car were two of these little men. These cars chased the children through the swamps laughing the whole time as if it was some kind of a game. Now, one of the children, Andrew, fell into the swamp headfirst and got covered with mud. The children ran out of the swamp area, but the gnome cars kept chasing them until they reached the park entrance. The children found that the gate was locked, so you can imagine their panic as they tried to climb over the fence. Then... One of the children managed to get the gate open, so they quickly ran out onto the streets. The gnomes stayed inside the park. They seemed unable or unwilling to go out beneath the streetlights outside the gates. After their unnerving experience, the children spent about an hour or so just walking the streets. They talked a bit about what they'd just seen before returning to their homes. Now, some of these children told their parents, who, of course, dismissed the story as, you know, complete nonsense. The next day at school, though, their story fell on more receptive ears. And very quickly, the tale of their encounter spread among the other school children, creating quite a buzz. The school's headmaster, now he caught wind of the story and decided to question the three children himself. Now, here's the weird thing. The headmaster of a primary school... You'd probably be used to hearing, like, you know, weird stories from over-imaginative children, but he came away with the impression that the children were telling the truth. Now, obviously, he didn't believe that they'd actually seen gnomes in the park, but he was certain that he'd seen something out there himself a while before this encounter. And, as he thought, they were not lying about it. He got the children to draw what they'd seen— and he taped interviews with them. Now I've seen a lot of the drawings, and it's nothing spectacular. The only spectacular things I've ever seen like this were there was a supposed, which we'll talk about on the show eventually, because it's one of the most fascinating ones I've ever heard. There's a abduction, or you know, supposed abduction experience with a, a bunch of guys who were out camping. Every single one of them, they were all, uh, they were art. uh, I forget what it was. They were all artists or art students or they went to art school together, something like that. But these men were like professional artists. They were very, very good artists. And the images that they came up with, the drawings and the paintings, I mean, were absolutely horrifying because these people were legitimate artists and it was creepy. You know, every other drawing, it's all stick figures and very rudimentary. Not everybody is a trained artist, you know. So, like I said, nothing spectacular. Basically, just, you know, like a little kid would draw a gnome in a little car. You know what I mean? Nothing that stood out ominous or creepy about it. I mean, it's weird. But, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit jaded because I saw those... I'm not saying that this is alien or extraterrestrial or anything. But after you see an actual artist draw... A paranormal experience that they've had, like the Sandown Clown thing. You know, The one of the children grew up to be one hell of an artist and drew a lot of the images that we know of the Sandown Clown. Same thing. I'm a little bit jaded now when it comes to people drawing their experiences. But what was I saying? Yeah, he, I mean, the, the headmaster got the children to draw what they saw and The interviews, taped interviews with the kids. Now, as far as I can research, these recordings are nowhere. I cannot find them. They're not available online. I looked everywhere. But there are transcripts, and let me tell you, they make for some pretty weird reading. Now, the children had apparently seen these gnomes before, but only briefly during, like, summer holidays. They said that the gnomes had very wrinkly skin and they appeared joyful and friendly even though the children were afraid of them. And they said that these little bubble cars make no sound. No sound whatsoever as they moved and they seemed to be able to jump over fallen trees and logs. Pretty odd. I gotta say though, I mean, after reading through the transcripts a few times, I do have some concerns. And I'll put that lightly. For a start... These are, there are inconsistencies in their story. I'll just say it that way. Now, you would expect some in, inconsistency, right? Memory is a malleable thing. And these are testimonies from 10-year-old children, so they're not the most consistent of witnesses to begin with. Plus, this encounter happened at around 8.30 p.m. in September in an unlit area of the park. So it would have been pretty dark in there, but even then? I mean, some of the differences in their testimonies honestly, are pretty difficult to justify. Two of the children described the gnomes as having white beards with red at the tip, whilst the third child described them as all having long, black beards. This seems like an odd detail to get wrong. You know what I mean? You could say that this third witness simply didn't get as good a look at the gnomes as the other children did, but that same witness also described details that the other children did not. Now, I might have an explanation for this, so stick with me. For example, he said that their trousers were ripped and they had yellow patches on some of them. Yeah, that they had, like, mended their own clothes. So he had to have gotten a pretty good look at these gnomes, if, if this is legitimate, if this is real. Maybe in their panic... They just missed certain details, you know, in their attempt to remember the events. They filled the holes in their memory with whatever they imagined they'd seen. Kind of reminiscent of like the, you know, of the Sandown Clown incident. Same thing. I know I keep referencing that, but I mean, it's pretty similar, don't you think? It could also be that if these really were some sort of otherworldly entities, each child may have actually seen them slightly differently. Let me, <laughs> let me, I'll, I'll explain. As I've said in previous episodes on these subjects, it could very well be that there's some as yet unexplained phenomena happening here. I'm open to that. When we encounter it, our brains can't quite get a grasp. It's like looking at the face of Cthulhu, right? We sort of slot in whatever cultural reference we think we might match it closely enough. I mean, think of the book of Revelation in the Bible. John didn't know what he was looking at. All of these futuristic things that he didn't recognize as, you know, we still we still haven't experienced the end, obviously. <laughs> we haven't lived through Revelation, you know what I mean? It hasn't happened yet. John was looking at things far into the future, possibly far into our future. He saw these things and tried his best to make sense of them with the words he had in which the time he lived. Imagine. Imagine. You're from that time period and you see things like, imagine, just put yourself there. Imagine you're in his time period and you see things like bombs, tanks, guns, airships. Then try to explain those things. Go ahead. <laughs> I see no difference between that and some of these weird stories. This might explain why multiple witnesses seeing the same phenomena might see them differently. It's something you have to consider. It could also, of course, simply be that the children were lying. There's a lot of details between the interviews that match up, though. Some of them perhaps uh, (laughs) a little bit too well. See, all three of the children interviewed said there were around 30 cars each carrying two gnomes apiece. It seems an oddly specific number for all three of them to arrive at that independently. You know what I mean? Imagine... You're being chased in the dark by a gang of gnomes in tiny cars. Would you have time to count them? You know what I mean? Were there 20, 30, 50, 21, 22, 31, 32? You know what I mean? It's odd. Now, I would expect to hear three different numbers unless the witnesses collated before being interviewed. That is a sign of that to me. This doesn't necessarily mean that they invented the story. It could be you know, after their experience, they talked amongst themselves and came to the conclusion that there must have been about 30 cars in total, and they all agreed on this number. It could be, well, uh, let me put it this way. It would be interesting to be able to listen to the recordings and hear the kids' tones of voice. That's what I'm really interested in as they're answering some of these questions. See, I think (laughs) <laughs> you gotta take this with some salt because the nuance is lost when you're just reading text on a screen that's why people often get arguments <laughs> arguments when they're texting each other, it's hard to read that inflection for the time being it seems that we only have the transcripts to go on, unfortunately rumors about the Walletton Park gnome encounter spread quickly and pretty soon newspapers were sending journalists to interview the kids as well A Daily Mail article from around the time that I amazingly managed to locate gives me another reason to be slightly suspicious of the story, I gotta tell you. Andrew, the child that fell into the swamp, remember him? When interviewed by the publication, he said, and I quote, I felt something drop on me out of the trees. I think it was one of the men and I fell into the swamp. Quote, it seems odd that he didn't mention this at all when questioned by the headmaster. I didn't see it in the transcripts. It's pretty big detail to leave out. After, this, um, after the initial excitement and the media frenzy at the time immediately following, there doesn't seem to be much more information about the events. I mean, there's, there's some modern-day researchers who've done pretty good work piecing together the details about the Walletton Park gnome encounter, but there's not a lot out there, man. Most notably, Simon Young. He published this awesome book, *The Waltons and Gnomes: A Nottingham Fairy Mystery*. I, in my almost rabid level of interest in this story, as I researched it, I, I bought this book and read it over the weekend. I, I I loved reading it. I recommend it. I I really do. This ain't a plug. <laughs> it's a good it's a good book. The children who saw the gnomes. I mean, think about this. They would be in their fifties now. There have been efforts. To track them down by various internet sleuths. But so far, no one seems to have come forward. Nobody. Some people have taken this as a sign that they're lying and they're embarrassed to admit it. I don't want to jump that far. You can't prove that, you know? It could also be, because this is why, I mean, it could be a sign that they're telling the truth and they're embarrassed to admit that it's legitimate. That can go both ways. An appeal by a researcher was placed recently on a local Nottingham Facebook group asking for help and tracking down any of the people involved in the Wollaton Park gnome encounter. One person replied saying, I quote, Patrick was one of the lads I knew in Radford. He was a few years younger than me. I worked with him in the mid-80s. I remember the story about the gnome, so I asked him about it. He told me it was all made up a friend of his got the idea to stir up some trouble and notoriety and said that they made the whole thing up. Now, this was a Facebook quote. I got to put where the quote ends, right? Now, this was a Facebook comment. So take this quote with a grain or two. We know how Facebook is. (laughs) We don't know about, you know, Patrick's apparent work confession, and even if what he says is correct, how do we know that Patrick wasn't lying about making up the story? I mean, these kind of things can go round and round and round and round forever, dude. A story like that would bring a lot of ridicule on an adult, and perhaps as he grew older, he just found it easier to say that the story was fake. You can go go both ways with this whole thing. However, it isn't just those children that have seen strange things in Walton Park. There have been many more sightings dating back decades before the 1979 encounter. Oh, yes. I was kind of surprised at this myself. On the same Facebook hunt for the original children, it was posted by a user, and I quote, My Aunt Alma was a very respectable lady who lived in a large house on the embankment. She was a very rational person who would politely laugh at any suggestion of the supernatural. However... She once recalled to us at a family gathering a memory about a trip she made to Walleton Park as a child in the 1930s. A friend and her were enjoying a picnic by the lake when they noticed, in her words, little people no taller than a doll that cautiously appeared from out of the bushes. They were all dressed in fancy clothes. She claims to have watched them go across the lake on a tiny boat and disappear into the bushes on the other side. To be honest, we joked about it after she left, But it always struck me that she had no need to lie or make up such a story as it was totally out of character for her, quote. Pretty weird. The article goes on to say, (laughs) it just keeps going, how 20 years after his, excuse me, throat's a little messed up tonight. (laughs) Yeah, I know why, because I've been sitting in front of this microphone all day. This ain't the only podcast I got, so you're just going to have to bear with me. The article goes on to say how 20 years after his Aunt Alma told the story, some friends were visiting from Wales and they went for a day trip to Walton Park. When they got back, they said they saw little people wearing fancy clothes. These little people were seen down by the lake and they vanished into the bushes when they noticed they'd been spotted. Now, the earliest encounter I can find comes from the book Seeing Fairies by Marjorie T. Johnson. Check it out sometime. Seeing Fairies, Marjorie T. Johnson. She writes another account confirming the the, the existence of these gnomes. You want to know what year? Huh? 1900. Yeah. She was passing through the wall. And this is published. This wasn't like after the fact. Oh, my Aunt Alma, blah, 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 said this. When did she say that? I don't know, 1995. No, this is published way before this encounter. That's interesting to me. She was passing through the Walton Park gates when she saw some little men dressed like policemen standing just inside the lodge entrance. They were smiling and looked very happy. She said in the book, and I quote, They hadn't any wings as far as I can remember. They were between two and three feet in height. Quote. She also recalled that fairies had been seen dancing around the lake in the park by multiple people. Fairies. Interesting. There are many more encounters, but I won't go through all of them in this episode. <laughs> we have quite a bit to digest already. If you search Waltons Park yourself, you'll find a few interesting reports in there. There are more reports in the gnome book that are worth reading as well. So whether you believe in gnomes or fairies or other diminutive mythological creatures <laughs> straight out of a fairy tale book it does seem that people have seen something weird in the park involving little people. Now, I don't know whether that means there's a gang of gnomes driving around in bubble cars in the swamps, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. It's a legend that has existed in the park, which amazes me, for well over 100 years. Hopefully one day, one of the original children comes forward to give their side of the story. And I know it's a long shot, but if any of them are listening to this, I want to hear from you. Whether this story is true or not, whether you want to stick to your guns or not, I'm not going to make funny. I'm not going to embarrass you. If any of you know, any of these people, I would love to speak to you on this show. But, you know, what are we going to do? What we usually do on this show. We poke it, we prod it, we analyze it. I got to tell you, we have nothing to definitively prove that this occurred. We have drawings. We have transcripts. You know what I mean? I don't see any smoke. I don't see any gun. <laughs> but we have nothing to disprove it either. We have reports going all the way back to 1900 saying that this has occurred. That surprised the hell out of me. I thought this was just one of those urban legend things that just happened once and that was it. You know? Like the uh, what, what what there's a similar story here in Kentucky. I forget what it was. I, I know we're going to tackle it on the show eventually. The Hopkinsville Goblin Encounter. Yeah, that's a thing. But that was one and done deal. <laughs> you know, this thing. People have been seeing weird stuff out there for a long time, and I think it's interesting that the word fairies were mentioned, and I'll tell you why. Now I'm aware that by and large. Fairy stories, as far as their origin, you know, we're talking Aesop, ancient Greece, all over Europe. But primarily that area. But England in particular, they took these stories and just ran with them. (laughs) And, you know, the origin is debatable anyway, as far as where it came from. This is the epicenter of the fairy story, of the fairy tale. England, Nottingham. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Nottingham? You know what I mean? Lots of stories in that area. I heard somebody say, somebody much wiser than me, say something once. I actually heard it in church. That, now I'm not trying to push anything on you, it's just that this made a lot of sense to me. That when we pray, And and like I said, I'm not pushing any religion on you or anything. I'm I'm not, I I don't do that. I'm just telling you why this made sense to me. I was told in church, the pastor was speaking and he said, the reason why we need to feel close to God is because we're not praying to something gazillions of miles away. We're not praying to something that is way out there in the cosmos and unreachable. That's not what we're doing. The reason why we say we have a personal relationship with God, with Christ is because everything exists at different wavelengths. They're described as firmaments. Yeah, firmaments are above, below. But again, they're using words that, you know, they could, as best as they could describe what they were looking at. You know what I mean? Everything exists at different vibrations, different wavelengths. It's all here, man. It's all here. I'm convinced of that. That explains ghosts. That explains weird sightings. That explains so much. It makes perfect sense to me that it's all right here. And we're just experiencing it at different vibrations. I can't understand the vastness of the cosmos. I can't explain all that. I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm just telling you what what instinctively makes sense to me. And if you take all of these stories as a whole, We're talking gnomes, UFOs, fairies, angels, all this stuff. You take it all into account. That makes a lot of sense. I can't prove it or disprove it. It's one of those things like the gnome story itself. Requires further study, right? We say that a lot. Can't prove it, can't disprove it. A lot of these do require further study. It's kind of rare that we end up debunking something. Even rarer that we end up proving something. I can't wait for another one of those. (laughs) But who's to say that these other wavelengths, these other dimensions, that there aren't creatures like this that exist. How can you prove or disprove that? We can't do either one. It's like the Fermi paradox, right? What's the Fermi paradox? Well, it states that either there's intelligent life out there, aside from us, or there isn't. And if you ask me, each of those outcomes is equally terrifying. So I'm thinking... What if these creatures don't exist on some other wavelength? Stories about Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, whatever. (laughs) I'll tell you straight up. Any of those that we tackle on this show, cryptids especially, I don't think we'll ever be able to debunk or prove any of them. They're always going to be merits for their study, I think. Unless we find something, you know, miraculous. (laughs) I really do, man. I wish we could prove that or disprove that. That it all exists in this area of space right here. It's just at different vibrations, different wavelengths. Time is not linear. It's all existing at the same time, different areas, different dimensions. That's very, very plausible, if not completely likely. And is something just slipping through? We don't know. Pretty odd story. The gnomes. It's, all, it's one of those that I'm thinking the whole time as I'm researching it, this is too wild to be fake. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm thinking this is too wild to be true. And I knew from Jump Street, we were going to end up saying mer- merits further study. And that's what I'm saying. So what do you think? Is there a piece of information that I left out? Some piece of evidence that could have blown this whole thing apart? Just let me know. Go on Asylum817.com, that's Asylum817.com, for all things strange, places related, all the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account where you can get early access to shows, giveaways at certain tiers, ad-free episodes, ad-free, yeah, if you're into that, little less a dollar a month, check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way, the Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. The show wouldn't be around if not for you guys. Seriously, you might not think that you donate much, but dude, whenever something breaks here in the studio, a cable goes bad, it's always something that's like the amount that you donate. I mean, it's always something that's 10 bucks, 12 bucks, five bucks here. Having a podcast like this will nickel and dime you to death. So you might not think you contribute much, but trust me, you do. And yeah, that is all we got, ladies and gentlemen. Again, here at the very end, I just got to tell you don't be alone this holiday season. Reach out, man. Just reach out. If you're feeling bad, if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling alone, I know it's a hard time for some of you. So whatever holiday that you celebrate today, this week, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'll get this out on Christmas, but if I don't, whatever holiday you celebrate this time, enjoy it. Have a good one. Have a memorable one. All right? You only live once. Enjoy it. Within reason. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And if you do, name it after me. (laughs) <laughs> anyway guys I'll catch you later Merry Christmas Happy Holidays and uh yep yeah, that's all we got see you next week are we ever gonna run out of strange places to talk about I don't think so because every town has a strange place and maybe one day we'll visit yours The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men and their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.